everyone. Welcome to Music Ed Insights. Steve, it's great to be here. And, and, and welcome to you also. Oh, thanks, man. It's great to be here. <laughs> what, have, uh, what have you been up to? Um, I, I've, uh, I've done some work with some school faculties on some culture stuff. Um, that's been that's been challenging and interesting. To like see the full full school, not just the music team. Oh yeah, uh, faculty. Yeah, not students, but uh, but full full faculty. In one case, it's uh, nine twelve, in another case, it's it's K twelve. So uh, those projects are are interesting but challenging because it's it's tough to have the the culture you really want in a school these days. There's just at least in this part of the country, they're, they're kind of starved for resources. And so that presents some other challenges. So so having a great culture while all that is still going on is challenging, but possible. So it's uh, it's good work. And as a part of the, the group dynamic empire, uh, I do help groups travel to Disney World. So I just got back uh, on a trip with one group and I'm preparing for a couple others coming up. So that's kind of a fun way to mix things up. How about you? What have you been doing? Well, first, did, did you change the name of your company to the Group Dynamic Empire? Because if you haven't, you should. <laughs> I do like that. I, um, I, I, I think for a while on Google Maps, this was referred to as the deluxe office suites of Group Dynamic, even though it's a, it's a home office. So I think it's gone now, but for a while, that's how it was listed. That's nice. So if any of our listeners are wondering how to not get audited by using the home office deduction... Uh, which is well known for triggering audits. They can uh, approach you for some unofficial advice on how to navigate that. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Part of the group dynamic empire as well. Tax, uh, unofficial tax advice that you uh, will later deny. You know, you learn a lot when you've you start your own business and then it grows organically and changes from a sole proprietorship to like an S corp and all that. Like you, you learn a lot of things informally along the way. Some some of the lessons carry consequences, but if you if you <laughs> if you pay enough attention, you can usually uh, usually do well. Well, speaking of Disney, uh, I was just fortunate to return from the Orlando Disney Empire. Uh, with my family <laughs> over the Thanksgiving holiday, which is one of my favorite times to be there. And I was listening to one of my favorite sports commentators, Colin Cowherd, a few days ago, and he was talking about the Green Bay Packers, my favorite football team. And he said, you know, the Packers are kind of like Disney, like Disney World or Disneyland. Not very cool, but very easy to have a good time there. I was like, huh. that is spot on. That yes. that explains like when I try to explain to people why I enjoy going there with my family, we got four of us. We're all very different people. This is the one thing that we're all like, yeah, this is fun. We like this. And uh, for our listeners, you also uh, you helped us plan that. So you don't need to be taking a full school group to Disney. If you just want to take your family, Alan is very helpful with that, too. And uh, saved me a ton of money by uh, figuring out some behind the scenes stuff with the the housing in the hotel. So that was cool. Also, I uh, just finished a couple of beginning 
concert band and beginning jazz band pieces, still awaiting publisher approval on those uh, to make sure that everything is okay there, but excited uh, to write for those first year groups. I've been trying to do a little bit more of that recently. And then also just got all of the holiday pops for the professional symphony orchestras that I write for, got that off of my plate. So I'm getting ready to cruise into the holiday break with a trip to Midwest and uh, and some other stuff as well. But I'm going to guess that that is not why people are listening to this today to hear what Alan and Steve have been up to, or maybe they are. I don't know. I, I think, I, I think we would be surprised at how curious people are. Um, but I'm with you. I'm like, how is this interesting? But we get feedback when we do things like this, like, oh, it's really cool to hear the real Alan and Steve. I'm like, well, the real Alan and Steve are also conducting the interviews, but the focus is on the guest. Indeed. So you have no idea what I want to talk about today. Uh, so this will be a surprise for you as well. But I am reminded of a couple months back, I was out on a walk and we were talking on the phone, as we often do when I'm out walking. And you had mentioned that you had just returned from some sort of, I think it was a retreat for your church or something like that, where the topic of discussion was something along the lines of, yeah, in the 1960s, in the Episcopal Church, we did things this way, and it worked great, and we had huge congregations, and everything was awesome, and we can all sit around and whine that it isn't like that anymore and keep doing things the way we did in the 1960s, or we can accept that it's not going to be that way again and adjust. Am I the the couple of months maybe with a couple of uh, a couple of whiskeys in between i maybe have have <laughs> misremembered some of that but is that pretty much accurate yeah the broad strokes are there i mean the 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 50s not the 60s um and it was uh it was a statewide assembly of uh congregational leaders and clergy um but yeah the the, the broad stroke is there what got us here won't get us there and when you've experienced success, and I have a feeling you're going to segue this into school music programs. Oh, um, man, when... this is all going to be straight up Episcopalian <laughs> talk for the rest of the episode. <laughs> I don't mind hear what Alan and Steve have been up to, but I don't even know what Episcopal means unless I've unless you've read John Irving books. It's always in the background there. OK, uh, to, to reel this back to, to where we were, what, what got us here won't get us there. And any time you've experienced success and, and the Episcopal denomination had a real heyday in this country in, in the 50s, um, it, it, you, you always want to capture that success or that feeling, um, which is OK. But sometimes we try to recapture it with the exact same things that made it happen back then. Um, to, to keep talking about church leadership, and I've been an active church member in the Lutheran and the Episcopal churches, you know, people are always reminiscing about what totally worked for their youth groups back in the day, what totally worked to generate a hospitality program back in the day. And we just don't do that anymore. And that's why we don't have that success anymore. And the, the focus of this conference and, and our conversation, uh, as I recall, was, yeah, try to recapture success but figure out how to do it now with the resources that are available now with the people that you've got now and the structures that you've got now. And then that can take us into the future. Is that, is that how you remember the, uh, the next part of our conversation? It is. I remember that. And then I straight up asked you, can you think of an example as, you know, or a corollary as it pertains to music and music education? And do you remember what you said? 
I don't. I don't remember what I said, but I will the moment you you jack my memory. You brought up DCI, Drum Corps International. You remember yeah. now? All right. What did you yes. say? Remember? Alan seems frustrated with me. I, I, I'm frustrated with most with of our guests, I send them the talking points and the questions <laughs> in advance. But uh, I'm frustrated with my own mind. I mean, I could go a few different directions now, but I don't remember exactly what I said. Then. It was something to the effect. Of, was it about bingo? You did, did I mention bring bingo? bingo? You did yes, bring up okay. bingo. Yeah, yeah. Now I remember. Yeah, the, the, there were these fundraising models for drum cores that worked really well for a while and no longer work. And expenses are so far outpacing inflation for DCI um, you know, be, because of safety stuff, um, because the, the production stuff um, it, it just costs a lot more. Uh, we, we got an upcoming episode where that's going to come up with, with Jeremy Spicer, in fact. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily work anymore. That's why we were seeing cores. When we were talking, we were seeing cores that weren't going to tour because of budget considerations yeah that had just come out that I, I don't remember which group it was maybe one had folded completely and one was folding just for the upcoming season and you brought up that you brought up the fundraising model that that maybe that doesn't work quite as well anymore and then i think i added to the conversation back in the 70s when uh you know hyperbole every town had a drum corps there was less uh, out there competing for students' time. So the idea of giving up an entire summer, as well as all of those weekends for camps and things like that to learn the show, uh, that was, I think, not as big of an ask. And I think nowadays for our students, in addition to here's the financial outlay that we need from you to make this work, and also you're basically going to have to devote your life to this I think the pool of of student population who are able and willing to do those things is just much shallower than it was even in the 90s. And that's true for school music programs, too. You know, there are there are people who we might call old timers in our profession who remember the number of hours that that students would devote to summer band or to marching band camp or to other summer camps and festivals. And, you know, maybe 10 to 20% of the, the, the ensemble would go to a music camp at a local school. And then that would feed the band orchestra and choir coming back in the fall. Um, I remember my high school band director in the, in the 1980s sort of banked on that kind of leadership coming back to him. Um, the number of hours that you could put into show choir camp or marching band camp before school started higher and 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 you're right that there are more demands and i also think that post-covid families and students are prioritizing their time differently and and directors ignore these shifts at their peril and then it becomes do you sit around and bemoan the way that it used to be or do you shrug and say i have one third the hours that i used to have what can i do with that time and max it out. Yeah. One, one third, the hours we used to have. And then also this is something that was kind of on my mind as I was writing beginning band music, uh, for publication, this music has to be much easier than it was 20 or 30 years ago. And I think some of our listeners have noticed this, that they go back into their file cabinet 
and they find something labeled as a grade whatever and they pull it out and they're like oh this has this is listed as grade two and it's got two horn parts that are independent and not doubled and back in the 1980s that was probably pretty common was to to have horn players in your band who could do that and i think the equivalent in orchestra you know, you couldn't find third violin parts that doubled the viola and the cello part often didn't double the bass part. And as we have gone on, publishers have figured out we have fewer students. The students that we do have don't play as well as they used to in a lot of cases because they just aren't putting in the amount of time. We need to write easier music. And so I think we have directors who often fall into, and I'm talking about secondary ensembles here, uh, sorry to our elementary general music listeners, but fall into two camps. They're kind of frustrated that they can't play some of that music that bands used to be able to play. Or, and I think this is common, especially with younger teachers too, we're used to just obeying whatever the publication says. And so if we're directing a middle school group and we know that we should be playing grade one and a half or grade two literature and we go to the file cabinet, it says this is for beginning band. And it was from the 80s. A lot of times they don't know and they hand it out and it doesn't sound very good. And maybe they don't know why. And they don't know it's because they're kind of playing by a new set of rules that didn't exist back then. And, and as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about the everything old is new again. And with your professional development, I'm sure that when you were working with some of those faculties, they were like, all right, what's the what's the thing Alan is going to say that, that was happening 15 years ago that was supposedly new then? And now we're going to be doing this again. And everything old is new again and repackaged. But and, and I think and certainly not in the case of the group dynamic empire and and leading awesome, relevant professional development, that's not the case. But I think it is true. I think we do find repackaging of ideas. And as you mentioned, Jeremy Spicer, uh, our, our marching band guru that we just interviewed, and he was saying there's only so many marching band shows you can yeah. do. Like there's yeah. going to be there in 20 years, there will be marching band shows about water because there are just only so many, so many topics. Um but I think in other instances, we need to understand that in some cases, everything old or some things old are going to remain old. So, for example, how the Episcopal Church maybe did things in the 1950s, like we're not going to be able to repackage that and make it new and work again, just like we're not going to be able to repackage educational music that was written for middle school, junior high band orchestras, choirs in the 1980s and make that work again. I. I remember because I'm old enough. I remember in the '90s, this this bemoaning of the fact that we didn't have these summer band programs where high school students would play concerts. This is sort of a small town Midwest thing, and maybe uniquely Iowa because of the history of the Iowa band law, creating a lot of you know small municipal bands. But you know, kids used to kids used to play concerts in the town square five six times a summer. That was that was before softball and baseball and club sports and uh, more part-time jobs. I was just before so many other things, but that was the uh, good old days thing that I kind of dealt with uh, in the nineties and even the early two thousands in some of the places where I was, where I was teaching. When, when people are longing for the good old days, I think that we get dismissive when we say that people are longing for the good old days. Something that might be more apt is to think about comparison being the thief of joy that, and we've talked about this on the podcast with several guests about the, the downside of competition, comparing 
yourself to others and comparing your program's output to others, um, that that comparison can keep us from enjoying ourselves and doing the best we can with our students. If we channel it right, it, it works well. We've talked about that too. But the other thing that's happening with comparison is that people are comparing orally, you know, what they hear now with what they used to hear. So I don't think it's like, I loved everything about the 50s, 60s, 70s. It's, I just remember it sounding different then. And I want to sound like that again, because people can compare to their own past as well. And instead, those people aren't in front of you right now. You've got those students, that dozen kids or those 150 kids or however many students in front of you right now, kind of magic can you make with them? Well, this just occurred to me as you were talking about the 90s and and what we hear in our heads. I think what what we haven't discussed so far is maybe the 25-year-old or 30-year-old teacher isn't hearing this picture in their brains of a 1980s or 90s choir or band or orchestra. But you know who is? The 60-year-old who's judging them at contests. <laughs> um, so what role does that play in things as well? That the experts that we are looking up to who are telling us, here's the repertoire you need to perform. Here's how it needs to sound. Here's what you need to be doing. Those people, by and large, were awesome at what they did, but they were doing it at a time that is different than today. You think there's any validity there? Yes, especially if they're still highly regarded, not just because of their past resume, but because of their current skill. And especially if, if we regard them highly on a personal level. You know, I'm thinking about a 70-ish year old um, former ensemble director who goes around, does a lot of clinics and a lot of judging and had a lot of success and is an awesome mentor and is very kind, not judgmental, not saying, Steve, you gotta, you gotta fix your jazz band. You gotta, you know, you need to swing hard and open with a swing tune. That's what everybody wants, you know? And, and you don't, you know, we're not respecting them because they're like authoritarian. These people are respected because they're cool because they're nice because they're kind and they've been nurturing and mentoring for, for decades but they haven't taught in a classroom post COVID in yeah. some cases post post 1999. You know, the other thing that's occurring to me as we talk about this is that those people also developed their skills at a different time. So you might hear them bemoan, Oh, well, when I graduated from college in my first few years of teaching, I could play all the all state etudes on every instrument. And that was awesome. But you know what they did not have to do while they were getting their undergraduate music education degree? They didn't have to take tech lab. They didn't have to take all of these things that as our lawmakers, and in some cases, I think they're correct, that there are deficiencies and important things that we need to address. And we, it, mm -hmm. But we are cramming all of this into our our undergraduate music education programs. And if we want to still get students out in four years or five years, which from a financial standpoint and just from how it looks standpoint, we have to do that. 
then if we're adding stuff in, then other stuff has to go. And that either is in the form of classes or content that have to go, or the content stays and gets watered down, or the content is there, but the students just physically don't have enough hours in the day to achieve it at the degree that maybe they did when when someone was getting an undergraduate music education degree instrumental in 1978. And and to that point here in Iowa, uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, the state said, hey, we're giving you a license to teach music K-12. It isn't it, it isn't specialized for band or orchestra or or vocal. And so they forced all of the colleges and universities to basically make every music ed degree all encompassing of all of those things, which if you were getting your degree in even the 1990s, you could just focus on your area and get really good at it. And I think we're forgetting that. And I try to remind myself of that. I'm going to spend all day judging bands tomorrow. And I'm trying to remind myself of that, that most of these younger directors just were asked to do way more and way uh, different types of things during their preparation than I was. Yeah, that's easy to forget, too, because we were busy when we got our degrees. We felt like we were required to take a lot of things that, that were that were new and thrown at us. I, I think about the tagline of our podcast, which we don't we don't reflect on very much, but the get current, stay relevant. You know, it's important to be current in order to stay relevant. And that doesn't just mean learning everything about a ukulele ensemble, which is something that our listeners can expect in the first part of next year. Um, I think it just means, sometimes it just means, what's the current reality? You know, what are the, what are the cards that have been dealt right here? And what can I do with that in that world? Despite how stressful it is in, in public schools right now, we both still know teachers who are having a great time. And I think the ones that are having a good time are the ones that are really focused on like their locus of control, like what they can get done. With accepting, done. accepting the reality, doing the best they can with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So what, what suggestions, this is way more under your realm of expertise in the empire that you run than mine. <laughs> but what do you, what do you tell people who, who would say, yeah, that's a good point. So how do I do this, Alan? I just show up tomorrow and be like, all right, I guess my group isn't going to sound very good, but that's, I guess, just what it's supposed to be in 2023. Well, if the group isn't sounding good, the music's probably too hard. Um, or the attention is, you know, maybe being paid to the wrong things. I think, I, I think it's, I think it's kind of individual, but, but, but if you're asking, you know, what's what's the general advice? If you're not happy with how your group sound, really reconsider the difficulty level of the music, and and then the then the thing to consider is how are you using your time? Okay, and, well, and, and maybe that leads into I was going to say, what about our elementary general music people who they are way more worried about what their students are learning oftentimes than what they sound like because. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. Our elementary general music teachers are amazing. And so their frustration is even just five years ago, I was able to teach this and this and this and this and this. But now we've got reading recovery and we've got this and they've changed mm -hmm. my schedule and I can only see the kids now X times or X minutes a week where it was double that. 
Um, and, and darn it, like, I don't care about what they necessarily sound like, but I want them to learn stuff. And I'm frustrated with that because I don't have the amount of time I need to do that. What do they do? Well, I, I, did I stump you? No, I'm, I'm not having a seizure. <laughs> I was just leaving. A really not, clear I, I don't have time to edit this to one at all, oh. by the way. So this is oh. like when, when we're done, this is just going up. So, uh, <laughs> okay. All right. I won't do the usual things of, 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 of uh, okay, fine. I think that general music, it's, it's tough to generalize about general music because some of the problems that general music teachers have is that they, they only see the students once every six days for an hour and like kindergartners first graders that's that's true here um blocks from where i live in elementary schools that's a really long time to make music with um with 24 first graders so i think that the solution for them and by the way they're the best ones to answer this because as we've noted before they usually figure it out and do pretty well with their circumstances but you know it's more moment to moment there you know, are, are these kids with me right now? Um, how can I connect with these students right now? What seems to be working? What seems to be doesn't, what seems to not be working? The luxury that a general music teacher has is that they can do some more shifting in the moment than ensemble directors can. But the general thought really is, you know, I, I can easily get overwhelmed when I think about what my whole day or my whole week is going to be like. Instead, let me think about the next five to 10 minutes. The problem that general music teachers have, and this is a funding thing, is that there are more and more students who have some needs that are difficult to meet with large class sizes. And the solution for that has historically been aides and associates in that classroom. And without those aides and associates, sometimes a general music teacher can be more worried about classroom management keeping an eye on things than about the music. That's a frustrating situation that I don't have an easy answer for. Do you? No, I don't. And not only is the funding maybe not like it was, I think we can all agree more students need those services than ever before. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's both things are going in a difficult direction. I have a I have an unpopular what I think will be an unpopular opinion that especially the secondary ensemble directors listening will be like, no, don't say that. Don't say that to our, to the elementary teachers. But I, I'm at a point now when we were interviewing our, our guest about the ukulele and mm -hmm. she brought up tablature and and we were talking about tab and and it's in you know where where it maybe doesn't have the the advantages of what we call standard notation or real notation uh if i am thinking about i want my students my kindergarten first second third fourth fifth graders to learn about music to love music to think about music as a lifelong skill something that they are going to incorporate into their lives Man, how important is notation? How important is it really when in another one of our guests, uh, I think first season talking about 99% of the music that's ever been created on planet yeah. Earth, you know, has not been notated. Yeah. Uh, and, and we think about you and I back to when we were teaching middle and high school band, like what, are the, what do they struggle with? What do they not like? Why do they most often self-select out? 
it's that. And if they are struggling with reading, reading comprehension in their native language, which we are having more and more of that, and then we say basically like, all right, now we're going to make you read in a foreign language, and that is the gateway to quote-unquote music. I don't know. So if we have fewer minutes in the week to do what we need to do, I'm wondering if uh, one of the things that goes if I'm teaching third grade general music is, yeah, I don't really care that much if you know what the notes on the treble clef are. I'm going to spend my time on some other stuff. Sorry. I, I and, and I know that'll be unpopular even with our general music listeners as well. Yeah, but I think your answer is better than mine. So I think you should go back and, and edit edit mine out. Just, just, just edit that part out, man, please. Um, last night, uh, Julie, my spouse, and I went to Irish Christmas in America, which toured, came through Cedar Rapids also. Uh, according to them. Um, and, and one of the most transfixing hypnotic parts of that show. I, I live in Cedar Rapids listeners. That's why uh, Alan brought that up. Yeah, that's yeah. that's why he said Cedar Rapids and not an interesting way. They also went through uh, Winnicani, Wisconsin, you know, <laughs> which, which they did not. That's my hometown folks. Courtney Sherlock, uh, the vocalist for the six member group uh, introduced a tune by saying this, this song represents the oldest musical form that we know of in Irish music. She named it, can't pronounce the name or remember it. And she said, it is only transmitted by rote, is never notated. And that is how I learned it. And it is unaccompanied. And it was, it was stunning. It was a stunning bit of performance that wasn't, it wasn't notated at all. Nobody in the room had ever heard the tune before, and uh, the, the the whole audience was on the edge. We were on the and edge. Two hundred years from now, if we have not blown up our planet, that's still going to be around. Yeah. And even though yeah. I have a great mastery of music notation and was able to write some what I think are very nice beginning band pieces, ain't no one going to be listening to or looking at those two hundred years from now. 200 years from now, we're going to send a satellite into space. And as a representative of music education in the 21st century, Locket in the Pocket is going to be uh, is going to be emanating from that satellite. Yep. It'll be right up there with the Beatles. And uh, yeah. All right. Well, we uh, once again, probably just discovered more problems than we solved. But I think sometimes just knowing, yeah, I'm not alone with these frustrations or thinking of these problems, sometimes that can make me feel better. And I hope that's what our listeners are taking from this. And that's what they're thinking instead of, I'm never going to get these 30 minutes back. Yeah, well, I think it <laughs> might guys. end up being longer than 30 minutes, but <laughs> that's all right. And now if you go our... back and you edit out my silence, man, just go, just, just make that one cut, man, that'll, please. That'll saving a whole eight seconds. But in all sincerity... Um, I, I want to leave by saying a couple of things. Thank you to all of you who are listening. Uh, we didn't really think this would make it this long, but the fact that our listener statistics are what they are, Alan and I decide, yeah, we'll keep doing this as long as people keep listening. And so you're giving us a reason to do it. So thank you for listening. Spread the word. If, uh, if you've got some colleagues or friends who aren't aware uh, please let them know about us. And then also use the next couple of weeks if you've got some downtime to not think about your job. 
I'm not going to. I recommend you don't think about it as well. Spend some time with friends or family or just being by yourself and uh, and try to come back refreshed in the new year. I concur with all that. Nothing to add. What Steve said. Thanks for listening to Music Ed Insights. We're supported by Group Dynamic, a leading provider of youth leadership workshops. Alan works with dozens of schools each year to help develop their leaders. Learn more at groupdynamic.net slash youth hyphen leadership. Or you could email me at alan at groupdynamic.net. Also sponsored by the Co-College Music Education Program. They've got a website too. Just click their link at our website or email me at shanley at coe.edu. Also, The Normal Design, helping normal companies and people create memorable, meaningful, and professional designs and branding. More at thenormaldesign.com. And Winterset Websites, website design and maintenance. Wintersetwebsites.com. Our Facebook page is Music Ed Insights. Our website has program notes, links, and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways. That's musicedinsights.com. New episodes generally drop every couple weeks on Monday. Get current. Stay relevant. Music Ed Insights.